trailblazer, futurist, heavyweight, and influencer are just a few of the many words that I took away to describe my conversation with our guest this week, Brent Weiss. Brent is an industry vet that has created an industry leader. Brent is a co-founder and chief evangelist of Facet Wealth. Facet is one of those companies that changes the game. They're an innovator that is focused on solving the decade-long challenge of how to serve the mass affluent the right way. Brent's background is filled with experience in our industry and his viewpoints challenge the status quo, which is something our industry is in desperate need of. Today, we will challenge the status quo together and see what boats we can rock. This is Bridging the Gap with your host, Matt Reiner. Brent, thanks for joining us this week on Bridging the Gap. Uh, how have you been? Matt, I've been, I've been fantastic, and, and thank you for, for having me jo- uh, join the, the podcast uh, today. Oh, my pleasure. We're happy to have you. And, uh, and, and when we were leading up to this, right, we were leading up around some, uh, a, a game that incorporated both of our teams. Uh, we, we decided actually in that initial conversation that we were actually going to start our own college football podcast, which is coming out in 2020, late 2020, it looks like. Um, but you're a big Notre Dame fan. I'm a big Georgia fan. There was a, uh, a small little get-together down in Athens, Georgia, uh, this, uh, you know, a couple weekends back. So um, Notre Dame, I guess, runs in your blood for a long period of time, huh? Uh, it does. I, actually, I, I played baseball at the University of Notre Dame uh, many, many moons ago. And I, and I knew you would bring this game up. And I almost I almost started my when I when you introduced me, I almost started by saying I'm doing well, but I'm having a rough week because of the loss. But you know, it, it, it's, it was a great game. I congratulate Georgia for the win. And I think we had a little bet, too, that I have to, to wear a Georgia jersey and take a picture. Uh, and so I will I will hold true and honor my bet and make sure I get that over to you. But uh, I, I happen to be in Austin, Texas for the University of Texas, Oklahoma State game. So I did not head down to what I hear was a very small tailgate yeah. uh, down in Athens, Georgia over the weekend. But a congrats to good game. I wish Notre Dame had pulled it out, but uh, I'm still going to cheer for the Irish. So go Irish, and uh, we'll still have a great season. Ahead. Well, I'll tell you, hopefully uh, hopefully everybody, uh, all the Irish that were there enjoyed their time. Hopefully they uh, they got treated with some Southern hospitality in Athens. There was only, uh, I think, about 150,000 people extra on top of the 93,000 wow. that fit in the stadium that were there without a ticket. And so uh, it, was a, it was a gathering for sure. But, you know, I have to say it was an amazing game, and we were just talking a little bit as we were preparing for this that it was the most electric and, and I'm not trying to rub this in when you're in Texas. I, I mean, the Texas here is amazing, but uh, it was just a one of those atmospheres that I've never seen. They've done some different things with that stadium, and so uh, and it ended up being a great game. I didn't know this, but uh, I read it after the game that CBS has only one ability, one option to take an eight o'clock game in the year. And usually, because CBS is the SEC network, usually, uh, or the SEC game of the week, they usually take the LSU-Alabama game later in the season, and they opted to take this game. Uh, so they don't have any more 8 o'clock games, and they used it on this game, and it worked out because it ended up being a fantastic game that came down to the last you know, couple minutes of the game. So, uh, Well, as a Notre Dame fan, I can't say I'm surprised. I mean, I think when you put two heavyweights, just such an anticipated game uh, with Georgia – you know, being, uh, I think, number three in the country in Notre Dame, I think it's seven at, at the time of the kickoff. Um, I, I think given the fan bases of both uh, organizations, the, the pomp and circumstance behind the game, it was probably a good choice and a little different than the typical SEC battles that we see uh, historically. So it's good to see some non-SEC teams battling and playing good games and having a chance to win, although I, I was disappointed with the outcome of the final drive. 
uh, the fact that we had a chance to to win that final drive against Georgia, I think bodes well or speaks well for, for the toughness, the integrity of the Notre Dame football team. So congratulations yeah. again to Georgia fans out there. That's hard for me to say, uh, but you were you were classier than the Alabama fans several years ago when when they uh, they whooped this pretty good down in Miami. Um, that was not a fun experience. The Georgia fans, I hear, were, were fantastic. So thank you. Uh, I will. Uh, I, I I appreciate that, but it's not too hard to be classier than an Alabama fan. So uh, <laughs> you know, it's not the it's the a, bar isn't that high. Well, right? it's a very low bar if you're, if yeah. you're down at the University of Alabama. Exactly. So. Uh, well, good. Well, when you get that picture, I can't wait to see it. Just tweet it to us, and and we'll we'll make sure that the whole world sees that you're now a beloved bulldog, and we'll welcome you into Bulldog <laughs> Country and Bulldog Nation uh, all at any point in time. So you're always welcome. Uh, but there, there's a few other things I want to talk about that you sent over. You uh, you were a 30 under 30 list, the Forbes 30 under 30, with uh, this small little name of a company in the industry that some people may have heard of. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so I, I will jokingly say that, I, well, I will say I was, I was part of the inaugural class of the Forbes 30 to 30 field in finance uh, back in 2011. I jokingly say that's before they knew what they were doing and they knew how to actually select uh, the appropriate people. But uh, one of the things is that was the same year that Alexa Von Tobel from LearnVest uh, got the award too. So not only did I get to go down there and meet some really incredible young entrepreneurs, I mean, you want to talk about true visionaries and game changers, but I got to meet Alexa Von Tobel. She actually uh, gave a presentation. Um, it's one of the things that, that literally led me to eventually coming up with the idea of Facet with some of the other co-founders because the conversation at that point was still very much investment heavy. And there was a room packed with sort of young 20-somethings trying to figure out what is this thing called financial planning? And it didn't really address it. And I left that room and people were going, I'm not really sure that helped. And so that was back in 2011. And then a few years later, of course, I, I met the, the other co-founders at Facet. And we'll get into this story a little bit too, but that was a really great experience. Amazing thing put on by Forbes. Uh, Alexa Von Tobel is a visionary. Love what she did at LearnVest. And I look forward to seeing her success as well in the future. Uh, in her new endeavor. Yeah, I completely agree. And and so I want to go from that spectrum before we dive into these questions all the way to the other side of the spectrum of a 30 under 30 to then your other kind of claim to fame outside of playing baseball at Notre Dame and et cetera uh, is a, a, a milk cow contest? A cow? Wild, wild cow milking. Okay, contest. go into this. I mean, I'm from the South, but I don't know this that well. So uh, the, there's a few members of our team that, that go up to a, a ranch in Montana. I can't tell you the name. They're trying to keep it like super top secret. An amazing, amazing place. Every year on Labor Day, they have a, a, like a true rodeo. I mean, this is a wild, wild rest rodeo out in Montana. True cowboys are out there having a good time. But what they do at the end is they have, it's really designed for the, the entertainment of the audience. And it's a wild cow milking event. And what you're supposed to do is you get a partner you chase in, in a ring, the rodeo ring, you chase cows and steers. So there's male bulls running around. You're supposed to lasso a cow, somehow tackle it down, and then you have to milk it. And you have to milk it into a cup. And the first three teams to get milk, get it over to the judges, um, are the winners. And so this year, uh, I went a couple years ago, and we failed miserably. Never got close to a cow. It's actually pretty scary if you ever run in a herd of, of you know 50 or 60 cows with some bulls. Um, and I took it upon myself. Because we couldn't lasso one. I said, I'm going to get a cow this year. And I found one, and I ran right at it, and I tackled the darn thing, took it to the <laughs> ground. My partner came over, tried to milk it, but the cow was dry, so we couldn't milk the darn thing. And uh, so we did not win the wild cow milking event, but I was very proud of myself for, uh, for, for taking, it, ta taking the initiative to track the cow down and, and bring it down with my bare hands. <laughs> <laughs> 
That is amazing. Uh, I don't know. I think that that story on this podcast of all the kind of interesting facts that we hear has to be up towards the top. And when we do our annual, you know, top 10 interesting facts, that's going to be, that's got a chance. So you got something to look forward to uh, as well there. Um, let's, let's get into the meat of this. This is what I'm excited about. I, I, I um, as I, I've said before, I mean, I'm very, um, uh, just a huge fan of what y'all are doing at Facet. I think that y'all are really onto something. I love uh, the the people that y'all have brought on. I know a lot of them, and I, I just love the kind of the story. And I, I think it'd be great. Some people out there don't know y'all yet. Uh, they will very soon if they don't. What, what's the impetus for you to branch out and starting a firm that tackled? I mean, I call this one of the tougher challenges in our industry of how to serve the mass affluent, uh, both profitably, but also in the right way. What, what was the impetus for y'all? Well, I, I think, so first of all, Matt, I've been a fan of yours uh, for many, many years too, uh, down there at Well and, and what you guys are building. Um, and, you know, we, we took a sort of different approach. And, and when you say the tough challenge of serving the mass affluent, one of the first things we asked ourselves when we got together was, was not what is an easy thing to solve or what is everyone else doing and how do we build a better business? We looked at the industry and sort of said, what is one of the biggest challenges that we face today? Right. What's a really hard thing to solve for? Because that's where you can create sort of not just a better business, but a new and different and unique business model. Um, and just to give the, the personal story of mine, I, I ran a wealth management firm a little over 10 years. I was a partner there, not lead advisor. And as I looked around the industry, I started to see so many families in this country that needed access or wanted and deserved access to high quality financial advice that didn't exist. Robo advisors on one end weren't providing that human element, that personal relationship that's so key. To your point, Matt, doing financial planning right. Mm -hmm. Um, And on the other end, you had uh, very high quality, excellent fiduciary financial advisors providing wealth management to high net worth families. And we said, there's a massive gap. Now I got very lucky and and got introduced to our other co-founders, Anders Jones, now our CEO, and Patrick McKenna, our executive, uh, executive chairman who hail from Silicon Valley. So they bring this idea that, hey, we can disrupt industries with technology, right? Technology enabled services is really their expertise. And we got together and we said, what are two big challenges that we see? Number one, that it's hard to profitably service these clients in the right way, right? Dedicated CFP professional, personalized advice, uh, making it simple and transparent, and an alternative fee model, flat subscription-based fees. I just think that's where the puck is going. But we also looked at the industry and said, advisors are struggling to do this. So how do we help advisors build healthier, more sustainable businesses? And how do we help the industry as a whole solve for these challenges. So we woke up one day, and, and I think the third part of this is we had to find people crazy enough to think, hey, we can do this, Matt, <laughs> right? That's the, that's the third element. I mean, I, good ideas are good ideas, but you have to find the crazy people to, to sort of take, jump off the cliff with you. And so we woke up one day and said, why not us? Why not now? Let's, let's go start a company with a mission of making high quality financial advice more affordable and accessible to families in this country. And let's do it together with a community of advisors, high quality fiduciary advisors that want to help us solve this challenge. And I think that, and, and what, I guess, when y'all are going down that path, right, why did you find it so necessary? And I think it's kudos to y'all because I think some people don't go this route, but why did you find it so necessary to incorporate the community of financial advisors? Why wouldn't you just go and build the brand yourself and and have the advisors internally from that standpoint? Yeah, so Matt, it's a great question and we get that all the time. I, I just, I look around this industry and I am a champion for number one, financial planning, right? The, the empowering effects it can have on improving the financial health and wellness of families. So number one, financial planning is a good thing. Number two, I'm also a champion of this industry, 
right? I ran a wealth management firm. I'm a certified financial planner professional. There are a lot of really good, high quality financial advisors that are solving a different challenge, right? They're bringing true wealth management to families that have wealth as it's been traditionally defined, but we found it difficult to do it by ourselves. And so I can go out there and we can say, hey, let's just disrupt the industry and, and create some issues here. Or we can go out and say, hey, I know that there are really great advisors out there that currently work with some mass affluent clients, um, but that want to help solve this challenge. I did the math the other day. There's about 130 million households in this country. That requires a whole heck of a lot of financial advisors to do this. So we went out and said, we want to be the leader in this space. We want to create the next generation financial planning solution for mass affluent families, but we can't do it alone. So why not? find build a better ecosystem, help advisors build healthy, sustainable practices and solve this challenge together with Facet as sort of the, the leader of the pack, if you will, in this, in this, uh, in this space. I, I, um, I think it's a great, it need that, that to solve that problem, it needs leadership. And I, and I, I think that y'all are on the right track there. And when we were talking before this recording, you had mentioned that you view, um, financial advisors having somewhat of five challenges, right? Um, can you talk about those five challenges? I want to dig into some of those because I think that the problem that keeps people from making this profitable, this segment of the market, is because of these five challenges. <laughs> yeah. So the the five challenges I'm going to list here in a second are are time tested, right? These go back decades. Even I remember Mark Tiburgian was writing about this decades ago. And the top five challenges that that we've seen historically and still see today: number one is time management. Uh, number two is growth. Number three is capacity. Number four is efficiency and productivity within your organization. And number five is sort of managing human capital, right? Now, I, I sort of put together time management and capacity into sort of the same bucket, but they are slightly different because time management sometimes involves lack of focus in your day-to-day. Are you really going after the right kind of client? Uh, are you in the right places for networking and community events and all of that? And capacity is, in most cases that I've seen, is working with too many clients. And in many cases, they're not ideal clients as your firm has evolved over time. And then the rest of the, these, these issues, I think growth, uh, Matt, I think you know that a lot of advisors are struggling with growth today. Um, if you look at sort of industry averages, I think organic organic growth, not inorganic and M&A, organic growth is something averaging around 2%. Mm. That's not healthy. That's not good enough. And I think the biggest challenge is advisors are struggling to understand how do I grow and how do I grow the right way? Now, all of that feeds back to maybe they're not efficient in their, in their day-to-day business, spend time on it, right? Top firms have a growth mindset. And they wake up every single day thinking about how am I going to grow my business the right way? How am I going to create a healthy, profitable, sort of sustainable business enterprise? And then last but not least, your people are your most important asset. Mm-hmm. This top firms have the best people, hands down. I think we, we flip this a little bit because everyone talks about technology a lot, Matt, and we think technology can solve our problems. I think we have to start with our, our purpose as an organization. Right. What do we do? Who do we serve? How can we be different and be excellent? What people do we need on the bus? Right, Get the right people on the bus and then understand how technology can really support that entire ecosystem to drive a differentiated business model within your advisory firm. Technology exposes the greatness of your firm or the challenges in your firm, right? If you bring in the if you bring in technology, and you don't have the right people, you don't have the right process, you don't have the right tech, other, you know, efficiencies involved, then it's just going to expose that even greater. It's just a magnifying glass on the good or the bad in that standpoint. Yeah, I, I think it, I, the way I see it, Matt, it, it's like technology has become like the the solution to the, the game of whack-a-mole, right? Mm-hmm. So advisors, advisors look at this and they start going, 
oh, I need a better uh, investment reporting system, so I'll go buy something that can do that. Or I need, you know what, I'm not really happy with how I'm capturing my client information or data, so I'm going to go grab a CRM. Or I need better planning software, so they go find a better planning solution. And all of a sudden, what they've done, right, as, as the mole pops up and you whack it back down, you have this disaggregated patchwork of technology and it only drives greater inefficiencies. And, you know, Matt, you know this sort of being in this space, right? Not all these systems talk. They're not all like integration is the big buzzword now. Like, how do you get all these systems? And firms end up with six, seven, eight technology solutions thinking it'll be the solution when it really just exacerbates the problem. Uh, within the organization. Yeah. And, and I think that I, I'm in agreement with that. I think that that's the biggest challenge that technology companies need to look to solve is how do we better integrate the current technologies that we have so that firms can get more utilization uh, and more efficiencies out of the technologies that they have. Too often, the technologies are focused on one or two things that they do really well, and then they try to do all this other stuff. We haven't yet found that kind of central hub integrator that's really needed yep. to help firms scale. Now, as we're talking about technology and flipping on the on its head, I want to talk back on one other point that you made, which is the growth side of things, right? Every firm, everybody, you go talk to a financial advisor, you're, just say, what's your biggest challenge? Growth, 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 <laughs> growth, 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 right? But that is their challenge. But is that really their true challenge? Because do firms really have the capacity to handle more growth. I, I just wonder if that is like a uh, another kind of, just like technology, sometimes a, a band-aid to inefficiencies. Is growth just a band-aid to maybe not doing the right thing or targeting the right people, et cetera, because uh, are firms able to take on more, do you think? So, you know, Matt, we talk to dozens of advisors every single week about their business challenges. And, and in some cases, growth is actually the biggest issue. In other issue, in other instances, it's not, but it seems to be the thing they should be talking about. Um, number one, I see a lot of firms that are struggling truly with capacity and finding the right amount of time to dedicate to sort of uh, oiling their growth engine. Right? That's a big challenge. But I, I, will, I will say this. If you look at the growth challenge overall for financial advisors, you really have to take a step back and say, what's causing the growth challenge? Right. I, I, I'll give you a quick, uh, quick story. I, 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 at an advisor conference a few years back, they put up a slide and they listed 50 value propositions for financial advisors. And they said, I'm going to challenge you to find yours. Of the 50, only two people in the entire audience could actually identify their unique value proposition on that. One was, uh, focuses in the LBGTQ community and the other works with families that have uh, special needs children. 48 Right. So that's a, if I'm doing my math right. That's 96 percent of advisors did not have a unique value proposition. So when you think about how you're going to grow, the first thing you need to do is identify what kind of client you're going to service. Right. I, the, the, we'll talk about this a bit later. I know, I'm, I'm sure when you think about how you're going to be competitive moving forward, you have to be different. Right. Being kind of good at things is no longer good enough. Just trying to be a little bit better is not gonna keep you competitive. Focus on how you're gonna be different. If you identify the right kind of client, then you can identify where do those families, like what are they using for social media? Where do they go? What are their values? And then you can target a growth campaign to find the right clients. I think advisors lack focus there. And so they don't know how to actually create the right growth engine to bring on the right kind of clients. And that becomes the issue. Then they bring on the wrong clients and then they have a capacity issue and can't find the ones that they can service profitably and have a unique sort of value proposition 
uh, from a relationship perspective. Yeah, I'm I'm all on board with that. I think that though I I talk to a lot of people, um, a lot of advisors when they're looking at technology. I always say, well, there's two other things you have to do, and I think it's very similar to growth that you have to do before technology can do any help for you, right? You have to have number one, and it has to go in this order. You have to have a why. Why are you doing what you're doing? And saying that I'm doing it because I love investment management is not a true why. Your why needs to be something deeper that can emotionally connect with your clients that differentiate yourself. And then the second thing is you have to have a culture of learning, which is iterating, learning, being okay, saying, I think I was targeting the wrong people here. Now I need to go target the right people or whatever it may be. Or with technology, I'm okay with adopting something that letting it fail and then learning why and then figuring it mm-hmm. out. And I think that alludes to the same thing. And then the second point I'll t- I want to talk about is there's a entrepreneur here in Atlanta. His name's David Payne. He started a technology uh, company called um, Scout Mob uh, many years back. And I talked to him once about technology, and he said, go find the solution that's 10 times better than anybody else. He's like, what we created wasn't something like drastically crazy. It was just 10 times better than what was already out there, and that's mm-hmm. why people loved us. And so of those 50, what my challenge to advisors would be is of those 50 um, lists is what can you do 10 times better? You don't have to like go think of something that's crazy, but what can you be 10 times better than anybody else at? And uh, I think it's just a different mentality I guess that's like the innovation mentality that y'all have, you know, instilled in in, in Facet. Um, why I, I just want to go down this path. Why is that so difficult? I think for financial advisors today, because I mean, it is. It's a that's a tough thing when you're like, hey, go think of it outside the box a little bit. It's hard for many financial advisors. <laughs> yeah, I, I I think we. So first of all, Matt, you make some great points. Um, I I have a framework that I use, and when we talk to financial advisors and sort of help them understand how to build healthier, more sustainable practices. Uh, there's sort of five steps to it. Number one, so it's purpose, product, process, people, and technology, right? But to your point, purpose starts with this is your mission, your vision, your values, your why, your purpose for existing as, as an organization. You have to start there. Number two, it goes to your product. This is what you actually deliver and how you charge for it. Your process is how you do it, right? How do you actually run your meetings? Are you doing it as a team, as a solo? And then come your people. You have to find great people. And then the last piece of that is technology. Because Matt, I, I agree with you. Technology is going to drive a lot of efficiency and productivity if you align the technology, right? Technology-enabled services, right? That's what we do as an organization. Technology should enable the services that we provide. So I think the thing that advisors probably get wrong, to your point, Matt, is they, they think they have to be this completely different model when they really just have to sit down and say, look at your existing clients, number one. I mean, do a segment, go through segmentation. Say, who are my clients? I don't like the whole the old ABC model. I think it's the wrong way to think about it. Uh, we have a different framework here. We talk about ideal clients, next-gen clients. It's called Intel. Uh, I'll share more about that if, if we have time. Uh, but think about who are the people I currently work with? Right? Who do I enjoy working with? Where do I drive real value? That'll actually give you some really good insight to say, aha, this is where I can be different right, in my service model to drive more value, to start uh, penetrating sort of the growth markets and to deliver more value. It doesn't have to be um, some completely unique thing. If it is, excellent, because mm-hmm. uh, there's a book, uh, Zero to One by Peter Thiel, that says, if you can create a monopoly, you'll never have competition. Right? That's probably a bit of a stretch for a lot of advisors, but really focus on, like, what's your one thing that you do really well? What one challenge are you solving for a group of clients? Um, and then find a way to make that your expertise if you do that, I think you'll start to see growth numbers uh, really uh, tick up in this in this uh, industry. Yeah, I mean, people are just attracted to that. That that spreads. It's different. It's memorable. Uh, you just got to figure out what it is that you can do 
that that's aligned with yourself, right? That is part of you that you don't have to change yourself too much, but that is aligned <laughs> with uh, with what you can continue to do. Because some people bring up these grandiose ideas, and then they're like, "Well, I don't, I can't execute on that. This is a great <laughs> idea." Um, but I, I want to go back to um, kind of the capacity thing, the challenge that that is out there, because that is a main challenge. I think we can lump a lot of it into capacity, and so how. How are you, when you speak to advisors, when Facet, you know, works with advisors, how can advisors start taking steps in solving the capacity challenge, right? Yeah, it's identifying these things, but what are some of the things that advisors can start doing there? Yeah, so I I think before we go too far there, I think number one is you have to understand what's causing the capacity problem in your organization. It's, I can tell you 80% of the firms with whom we speak on a weekly basis come up and they go, I have too many clients. I, I don't have the time to either service them well or really to add more clients. And they're sitting there with maybe 100 clients. The average is, it typically sits around 75, but that varies depending on the types of services that you see. We'll see anywhere from 50 to 100, depending on sort of what you do. Um, most of the time we said 20%, there's other issues within the organization. I would say if, if it's not a number of clients thing, really sit down and reassess what's going, what's not going well in your business. From a capacity issue, and this really goes back to understanding the right client that you should be servicing. Look, I get this. Advisors, when we start our, when we start our career, right, we'll sort of take on anybody. Right? This, is, this is how we grow our initial uh, our relationships. This is what happens. And then we get to the point where we hit sort of this capacity wall, complexity wall, and we start going, okay. Now I need to, to up my game. I need to take that next step in my growth. Maybe I start a, uh, I bring on another partner. If you already have multiple advisors, what do you start doing internally? So I look at it a couple different ways. Number one is you have to start focusing on an ideal client. I mean, I, the 80-20 rule does exist with an advisory firm for 20% of your clients are probably driving somewhere around 80% of your revenue. That doesn't mean you throw the baby out with the bathwater. But you really have to understand who are the clients I'm serving. What's my profitability line within my organization? Because you should be thinking about the overall financial health. It's not a bad thing to run a healthy, profitable, sustainable business. And then start thinking about, are there clients that I'm servicing that maybe I'm not giving the best service to, or someone else can service them profitably? Your C client may be someone else's A. And then start thinking about, how do I then transition that client? You can transition internally. What we see most of the time, Matt, is that firms that try that, it doesn't really work out well because if you transition to an internal advisor three or five years down the road, that advisor now has the same capacity issue. Right. Right. Um, there are solutions now for, and this is just happens to be where we play uh, for other firms that can transition them responsibly, give them the sort of the TLC that they deserve while helping those advisors uh, continue to grow in the right way, continue to build profitable, healthy businesses uh, moving forward. So those are a couple of things that I see working really, really well for advisors, but you have to, number one, identify it, be ready to make the change, and then take action on it to improve the service to your clients and ultimately improve the health of your business. Yeah, and I think that, you know, when I when I think to that, I, I agree. I think there's a huge challenge of advisors letting go of relationships, which can, and I'd, I'd be interested to know how advisors can overcome that, right? Because I agree with the 80-20 rule, and I, I think that that is the exact, uh, it, it, it it's math. It works, right? You look at any firm breakout. It's like it's it's all the time, and I think that the advisors always say, "Well, you know, unless until they become a problem, I'm just going to let them stay over here, or until the market fluctuates, and now I have to meet with all them, mm-hmm. it stays over here." Which isn't necessarily the right way of thinking. But how do you how how can advisors overcome that? Right? How do you get over that that hump 
because we've we spent and I think it goes back to what you were saying earlier, right? We spent so much time just trying to scrape and claw to get our first couple of clients, mm-hmm. and now it's like, how do we let them go? I'd just be interested in, in that path there for you. Yeah, man, I'll keep it high level because because this could be a whole other podcast in and of itself. So who knows? Maybe, Come on maybe down have, to Atlanta. And we'll man, do it here. That, yeah, man, the next time Notre Dame and Georgia play, we'll we'll have a good <laughs> weekend around it. Um, yeah, so I, I agree that this is a difficult conversation. Well, number one, it's a difficult thing for advisors to think about. And this is what, going back to where we started this conversation today. And you say, why did Facet Wealth want to be a complement to the great businesses in this industry? It's because. Like we want to go out there and find the advisors that really care. We partner with advisors that care about their clients. So we understand some of these clients have been been with you for years, right? They're the ones that helped you start your business. You care about them, but it's also okay to realize that at some point, maybe you're no longer the best fit for them. It's never about saying the client's no longer good for us. Sometimes it's about sitting back and going, you know what? I've built a very successful business. My business has evolved. And it's okay to partner with somebody to bring them in and say, you know what, Matt, I'll use you as my, as my client today. It's like, Matt, you know, at the end of the day, there's a solution that's better for you. That there's a firm that specializes in families with your unique needs, and as a fiduciary, I think that's a great fit for you. Right? This can actually be a very powerful conversation. At Facet here, we always say it, it. It is now possible to say yes to every prospect or the clients that you currently serve, and to say yes to to doing the right thing for your business, building a healthy, profitable, sustainable practice moving forward. And the last thing I would say to advisors too is. If you're thinking about the future healthy organization, we've kind of been lulled to sleep a little bit by the, this 10-year uh, market coming out of the mm-hmm. Great Recession. So we aren't really thinking too much about the practice management things and our profitability. But that worries me when I look at the numbers within firms and start thinking about if you really want to do the right thing for your clients, you really need to shore up the, the, the profitability, the health of your firm longer term and make sure that you're making it so it can be that 100-year firm that we hear a lot of people talking about. Um, now's the opportunity to to start setting up for the right foundation. You don't want to try to do it in the middle of the next great recession or whatever the next market downturn is. Uh, that's going to be, you want to talk about a capacity problem. If markets are down 30 or 40%, you're not solving it in the midst of that, of that capacity issue. So think about solving it now. Uh, it can be difficult, but it can also be very good for your clients and very good for your business. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think that there's also this functionality. Uh, once you understand your why, you understand your processes to what you alluded to, I think, earlier in our conversation about augmenting the right people with technology, right? Technology enabling your people to be able to effectively manage and serve more clients, right? Make the decision of whether you want to have, you know, fewer clients, but get more of their wallet, or you want to have more clients and and, and be able to try to serve a, a volume-based business. Um, you talk about this a lot in, in a lot of the things that you write and and speak about, uh, and you touch on the next generation capital and how using human capital with technology to create the future. Mm-hmm. How are firms, first off, uh, this is a two-part question. Um, one, why are firms so, uh, in, in your mind, if, if you agree with it, slow to adopt technology or utilize mm-hmm. it effectively from that standpoint? But then the second question is, is how are firms able to take that step back in their day-to-day to begin figuring out how to better leverage technology and the human capital. Because I think too often, uh, and because I, I've run a financial advisory firm too, and I fall into the same trap. Let's just go hire the person. We'll figure it out later. Let's just go hire the next person. We'll figure it out later. <laughs> and then you, get back to the, then you get back to the end of the year and you're like, what the heck happened to my margins? Why are they so, slow, so small right now? Uh, it's the same thing. So I just love your kind of thoughts on, on those two questions, uh, either right, directly so- or indirectly. So I, I'm going to do my best to remember both questions. So I, I think the first one was, why, is, why are advisors so slow to adopt? And the number two is, how can advisors think about a better framework to, to find the right technology and actually bring it on board, right? Without, Correct. Without, I think, my Spot level. on. 
Yeah, that's I, good I active think, listening right there. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing my best over here, Matt. Um, I was going to write them down, but I don't have a notepad <laughs> next to me. So I'm, I'm just glad I, I remember those today. Uh, I, I think, number one, if you look at our industry, it's been very, and this is actually one of the reasons we, did, we, we thought Facet could be a great fit. The industry has been very slow to evolve over time, right? It, there, it's been decades since a real sort of massive disruption within the industry. I think advisors are also sitting there with, with tools and systems that are, that are kind of good enough for what they do. Although I will tell you this, I think if you walk into any advisory firm, they're going to tell you that their technology is not great. They're a little, they're a little uh, frustrated by this. I think primarily because of the integration issue. And there's other thing, FOMO, right? Fear of missing out. Everywhere you go, the big topic is is artificial intelligence and machine learning. But no one can really tell you like, when it's really coming and it's going to impact your business or what it means. And so I think advisors are out there going. First of all, there's more technology by the day. Like fintech is is now an established sort of field of disruption, if you will. I think there's it's it's like cognitive dissonance. We can't right make the decision because then we're like, oh, should I pick something else out, right? And then if if you go back and look at your business too, if you don't have a clear definition of who you serve, how you're going to do it, your process, your why, it's very hard to pick the right technology solution to actually drive the results that you want. So I think advisors are struggling with that challenge. There's a lot of options. Like, where's technology going? Am I going to miss the next big thing? Uh, and then fumbling through this idea of how do I define the right way to use it. And the second thing is, which is a is a tie into that, we're not thinking about it the right way. Right? Remember the game of whack-a-mole, right? We're thinking, hey, there's a problem, fix it with technology. There's a problem, fix it with technology. We have to take the step back and Matt, go back to number one, what's our purpose? What's our mm-hmm. what's the vision and strategy of our firm? Why do we exist? What's the one thing, one challenge? It doesn't be one thing, but one, two or three things we're trying to solve, right? What product, what do we deliver? How do we charge? What's the process by which we want to deliver it? How do we align our human capital? Right, G1, G2, and G3, right? Next generation human capital. Once you have that, you'll have a very clear vision of, oh, now I know exactly how my business should be operating. And now I can find the right tools and technology to drive the efficiency and productivity gains that I know will create a world-class client experience for my clients. Yeah. I think and it I think that the theme that we're coming to here is 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 identifying purpose, right? Which is it, it, I think that that is an overarching challenge when we do roundtables and I bring together people or I do this podcast, like that is what these conversations get back to. And I, and I bet you, if we ask, well, I'd, I'd actually venture to ask if you were to go ask all the RAs or advisors that you work with, do you, they, they have a difficult time selling their purpose since your story earlier, right? They don't know what their value is. And I think that that's something that we can learn as an industry is figure that out, which will help to solve a lot of these challenges that we're, we're faced with today. Oh, yeah. No, so, Matt, I, I think you're right. I mean, the, the number one thing that I know, and this goes back to why, why you know, we want to join the community, the ecosystem, and just be leaders in the mass affluence space, is that the advisors care. Mm-hmm. Like, hands down advisors care. That's a very good thing, right? I, I see that. I, I look at the future for this profession, and I'm very excited about what's to come because I look at really smart uh, fiduciary advisors today. I look at the next generation that's coming through. We'll solve the diversity and inclusion issues that are coming down the pike. We will solve the next generation talent issue. Uh, but advisors care. But the whys are always like, so what do you do? And I hear comprehensive financial planning, investment management, and, and I provide peace of mind. Right? That's not different enough. That's not the 10x better Matt, that you mentioned, right? That's not the zero to one creating your monopoly where you're, you'll never have competitive, uh, you know, competition in your in your marketplace. Um, and so I think advisors should really sit back down, and it could just be a, a it could be a philosophical weekend you spend away saying, what do I want to like, what do I want to be when I grow up? Or it could really start if the easier thing is looking at your existing clients from a segmentation perspective and saying, who are the people that are really driving the growth 
the profitability, the health who do I, of my business, who do I enjoy working with? And let that sort of back into your why and your purpose as an organization, and then use that to take your, your organization to the next level. Yeah. And let that drive kind of where it goes. All right. Well, I want to move into buy or sell because we can continue down this path for forever, I think. Um, <laughs> and, and But I want to, before we leave, I always ask the same question to everybody uh, at the end of these questions. I want you to take your crystal ball out, sitting in the seat that you are right now, serving uh, advisors and clients, et cetera. What does our industry look like? 10 years from now? Well, the good news is, Matt, I have my crystal ball sitting right next Perfect. to me. <laughs> um, so I, here, here's the joke I was telling. Like, I, what I see is, if you guys remember Terminator, I see Arnold Schwarzenegger and this, this, this robot army coming to take over the financial advisory space. And I think that's what a lot of advisors go. Is technology eventually going to sort of destroy what we do? And here's the good news. I, I'm an optimist by trade. I believe the future is human. So I look out there and go, we have an amazing opportunity ahead of us. Um, look, there is a massive wealth shift taking place in, in, in this country, right? I think there's something like $63 trillion over the next 25 years that will shift. That's a big opportunity for us. People want to connect with people. Um, I, we're going to solve this next generation thing. I see a, a really diverse and, and inclusive sort of next generation of financial planners because our country needs that. Like the, Ameri- the American people need that kind of, need that kind of service. Um, I, here's one thing I do see that advisors should think about is I see flat fees and the subscription model becoming more of the norm. Right, the boomer generation as they trans transition wealth, we're sort of in the subscription era. Look at all the successful organizations that have been disruptive. Advisors should think about that. Um, and I see the human element playing a much greater um, role than I think most people believe. I think I do believe in excellent technology that should be the key to unlocking efficiency and productivity, a better client experience. But really start thinking about your human, the human element, how you can start developing the next generation of talent in your firm. Because I just believe that the, the future is human. The future is bright for the organization. But now is the time to start making changes and evolving to make sure we're, we're future ready and able to be competitive and, and sort of maintain our, our sort of pricing position uh, with our clients. Yeah, no, I, um, I can see a lot of that. And I, I think that the, the interesting that what's going to be interesting over the next 10 years, right, is that transition. And fees have been the biggest question, right? That's been like mm-hmm. the biggest headline aspect of how is the fee thing going to change? And it's going to be interesting to see if the 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 power of the subscription model will change enough of the perceptions of what they've accepted when it comes to financial advice to turn that over or not. And and uh, and then who's going to be like y'all have innovated and led in that space? Who's going to be the leader within the RA space as well to continue to to figure that one out? Which uh, will be interesting to see how it plays out over the next mm-hmm. you know ten years. All right. So buy sell. Buy sell is my cheesy game that that <laughs> tries to bring in, you know, the the tried and true trading aspect of a financial advisor. Four questions: buy or sell. Buy meaning you agree. Sell meaning you disagree. And then maybe just uh, one or two lines on why uh, you go or you lean each way. And we'll see if you're a bull or a bear. I sometimes set it up a little bit, knowing where it's going to be if I want someone to look like a bear or a bull. I didn't do that for you, though. Uh, So first one here, buy or sell. In five years, we will see fewer RIAs than we currently have in the industry today. I'm I'm going to go with a buy on this one, <clears throat> but but not for the reasons most people believe. Actually, I I, th- I think there's something lurking in our industry right now. It's not because consolidation. All of a sudden, we're going to see this massive wave. I, I honestly believe, like we're we're this like patchwork of artisans, right? Who want to who want to work independently. 
But I actually worry about the financial health of a lot of RIAs. I mean, we actually did a study, uh, or there was a study done by, by Investment News that showed that 75% of firms are operating well below the normal profitability and health line uh, for their practice. Um, and if you do the math, if we have another down market, that's going to be a big hit to a lot of RIAs. RIAs are two to three times as large as they were 10 years ago. So now if you, if you have a 20 or 30% loss, um, that's a big number to a lot of advisor firms. So I think we'll actually be, well, there would be fewer RAAs because in the next downturn, my crystal ball is not telling me when that's going to hit, Matt. Uh, but, I, but I think advisory firms, some of them are going to be at risk and that's going to lead to the need to either merge or be, be consolidated because they can't run their own healthy firm. So I, I think there's an issue for RAAs and they should really focus on the health of their, their practice moving ahead. Interesting. That is, uh, I haven't heard that before, but when you know when that downturn happens, if you could let everybody know, that'd be great. Um, uh, when you, when your crystal ball tells you that. And I, I, I think that that gets back to, uh, you know, advisors are facing a margin compression challenge as opposed to fee compression right now. They, they're just ballooning their expenses and, um, they're not taking that look at purpose and efficiency and how to use all those to combine. And I think you're right. That's a real challenge. Um, Buy or sell. The future of the new financial advice industry is more about the services you provide as opposed to the investment management you provide. Oh, gee, that's the easiest question you asked all day, Matt. <laughs> I, I'm, 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 I, when you ask, like, what do I see in the future? Uh, I, I, I just truly believe it's human first. Um, it has to evolve. To, to Every firm should be thinking about how do they provide uh, the right planning services, right? If you look at our industry as, as the evolution, it went from sort of product distribution to an investment management experience. We're sort of in the middle of this, the, the planning experience age. And I honestly think it's going to move to sort of some self-expression or experience thing moving forward. So if you think about that, the evolution is away from better asset management towards deeper, more meaningful relationships. So advisors should really start thinking about how they're going to how they're going to be different uh, moving ahead. Yeah, it's the fulfillment aspect, right? I, I think that the advisors becomes more of a uh, coordinator of helping their clients be more fulfilled in their life and asset management is just an, a, a tool to that but it's not the uh, the core boat that, uh, that's Maslow's hierarchy exactly. right going up to fulfillment needs it, it, it it's a, it, it's spot on it's not it, I didn't bring I didn't make that up myself but uh, <laughs> uh, I'll take credit for it if you want to give it to me buy or sell uh, Robo advisors will manage more than 50% of mass affluent assets in 10 years I'm, I'm selling across the board on this one um, yeah. I, there, as you You'll see there's a, there's a theme from me and, and especially the team here at Facet that the future is human. Yeah. Um, I, and while, while I understand that, that there's been a challenge historically in the mass affluent space, so robo-advisors have been trying to solve that, um, I just I just fundamentally believe that, that people want to work with people. The human element is the most important piece. Technology will help support us and make that more uh, cost-effective. And I'll and at the end of the day, Matt, um, and and maybe this is a forward-thinking thing for for uh, for our team here. Um, I just see a a new firm emerging in the marketplace that's going to provide the right kind of financial planning, human first, personalized, comprehensive services, affordably and cost-effectively. That that's that's going to um, take control of that marketplace, other than than the robo advisors uh, yeah. stepping in. Maybe a name of that firm would be Facet. Uh, from that standpoint, uh, there you go. Uh, Buy or sell, last one, the question that everybody likes to, to ask, Amazon will be a major player in our industry by 2025. So this might be a bit contrarian, but I'm going to sell. I, I think if you look at Amazon, and Jeff Bezos may be laughing at me, who knows? If he listens to this podcast, He's a Jeff, big I, listener. Well, He's a yeah. big listener. I say, yeah, Jeff, if you hear this, we'd love to have a conversation with you and have you on Matt's podcast. It'd be great. <laughs> um, I, I just sell. I, I think if Amazon was going to do it, they, they would be here already. Um, and I, I think if they do get into financial services, 
I think it depends what they're actually providing. Amazon is a great sort of marketplace distribution. I mean, maybe they come up with like a model market center. That's a good distribution, an easy way to, to create some efficiencies there. They could get into some of the more basic financial things of sort of banking or credit cards or that kind of thing. I don't see them getting into the human advice space. It's not what they do today. Um, and I think any firm would be challenged to try and figure out how do you uh, deliver more human, right? The the greater human element, more people, uh, people first sort of financial funding solution uh, in a cost-effective way to, to these families. Well, and I think your, your people first mentality is right. And that's something that I think, you know, we're, we've been in long agreement on because, I mean, you look at, you know, the robo-advisors when they first started, no humans, that's the beauty. We're not going to have any humans. Now, what, the, what are they doing? They're hiring hundreds and hundreds of CFPs to come in. And now we have this human element. It's like, okay, nobody, I mean, they talked about it for a little bit, but nobody has gone back to that and said, the human first thing is real because these people that were trying to disrupt on the technology side are now more human and then augmenting the humans with technology, which is the right way of doing financial advice because financial advice and money and wealth management, retirement and saving for a house and everything, that's, those are big purchases and big decisions that you need to have some EQ and emotional kind of connection with. We have millions of years of evolution that that have physiologically hardwired us to to respond more to human beings. Technology is a very new thing. Yeah. Right? So you think about you know people buy uh, people don't buy what you do; they buy why you do it. Right? Why you do it? That's that's partly the human element, the emotional aspect of having a deeper, more meaningful relationship with someone that you trust. Um, and I don't think that's going. Uh, I mean, again, millions of years of evolution. I don't think that's going away in in a, in a couple of decades. Yeah. No, I agree. All right, we're going to close this out so you can get back to changing the world and uh, our listeners can get back to changing the world as well. Give us in 90 seconds or so one closing thought uh, that a financial advisor or professional that's listening to the podcast can take back to their firm today and maybe implement uh, tomorrow morning and really push their firm forward. Yeah, so I, fair warning, brevity is not my my strong suit, but I'm gonna I'm gonna keep it under 90 seconds for you. I promise, Matt. If you go over, um, it's okay. We'll, we'll now here, here here here's the thing, right? I, every everybody should look around and just know this: change is coming. Whether it's consolidation, alternative fee models, artificial intelligence, and machine learning, the, the the buzzwords of the day, consumer preferences are changing. We know Gen X and Gen Y think very differently than Boomers. Um, there's no denying that, that denying that advisors need to start preparing now for a changing landscape. Um, I've been saying for a while here internally, Matt, um, that there's a, an extinction level event coming in the industry for advisory firms that don't evolve today. Right. So I, I jokingly say, are you going to be different or are you going to be a dinosaur? Mm. Right. Firms that evolve can and will build healthy, sustainable and future ready firms. But those that don't are going to find it very hard to remain com- competitive. Kind of good is no longer good enough. So here's what advisors, in my opinion, should, should take away from this. Ask yourself three questions, right? Where can you create a monopoly? Where can you be different? Where can you be 10x better, to Matt's point, than the people around you, right? What one problem? So the question number two is, what one problem are you solving? Right? How are you going to be different? What is that one thing that you're bringing to the marketplace? And number three is, who do you serve? Right? Who, like, what are the right clients? When you think about this, it should be about the right clients, the right services to build a healthy, sustainable practice. Um, if, you do all, if you answer those questions, it should help you understand how to, become an undif- how to avoid becoming an undifferentiated, commoditized business where you never have to worry about robos, you never have to worry about technology, and you can focus on building a healthy, sustainable practice moving forward. Yeah. I uh, I love that, and and I'm brevity is not my 
my forte either. Um, and so I'm going to probably go a little bit, uh, a little bit over. But what I want everybody to know is that me and Brent did not coordinate these closing thoughts because ours are going to be very similar. And so uh, that's why I agree so much. And I was speaking with an advisor a couple of weeks ago about uh, his firm, and we were talking through a question that he raised of whether or not growth was imperative in our industry. Basically asking, do we need to grow our firm? It seems like a silly question, but it's actually a really very real and valuable question. A lot of change is happening in our industry, and firms need to make a decision to be all in or not. And to be honest, there's nothing wrong with either answer because this industry initially was built with many firms that were lifestyle firms. But with the initial founders coming to a point of retiring and passing their firms on, the decision has to be made whether to keep it steady as she goes or to grow it. Uh, My belief is that there are a good number of firms out there looking to innovate, grow, and provide unique value to their clients, which would make growth and necessity to continue staying relevant into the future. But you must commit to growth, as Brent was alluding to, because it will cause some discomfort and you will likely be forced to make decisions that mean you have to learn new things and change the way things have been. In order for firms to grow, they have to accept innovation. They have to accept investing time in finding the right people, growing their people, iterating their processes, and utilizing technology to scale their practice. Growth doesn't mean the elimination of the human and profitable growth isn't done by just adding more humans. Growth will be done differently in the future. It will be a matter of augmenting the human to allow them to create deeper relationships and firms will be able to choose. Do you create deeper relationships with fewer clients and get more of their investable wallet or do you create more relationships with more families? Either direction is possible, but is only able to be accomplished if committed to. Many believe consolidation will occur in our industry because of the few having more of the money and able to make these types of investments. But the reality is that it's not just a money investment. It's a time investment. The smaller firms with less money can actually be more innovative and quicker to iterate and actually see growth happen faster. But it's a matter of commitment. If you commit to this change and uncomfortableness, then you will see, in my belief, the return. Brent, thank you so much uh, for your time. It was really uh, an enjoyable conversation. And um, I'm happy to have you on whenever you want to come on. And you're in Atlanta, come on back down or we'll do this again. Let's. We have a lot more to talk about, I'm sure. Well, Matt, I, I will say this. I, I love what you're doing here on the podcast. I, I uh, Again, I've been following you for, for several years here. So I love what you guys are doing. And, and it's a date. Uh, we'll just have to find a time for you to come down to Atlanta and, and, and join you guys there. So thanks again for having me. It's been a pleasure. Sounds good. Well, I appreciate you taking the time. And to everybody out there listening, thank you for tuning in. And uh, we'll be in your ears again next week. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Bridging the Gap. Don't forget to give us a rating and let us know what you think. 